Welcome to Digication Scholars Conversations. I'm your host Jeff Yan. In this episode, you will hear part one of my conversation with four different members of the Digital Ethics Task Force at ABLE, the Association for Authentic, Experiential, and Evidence-Based Learning. More links and information about today's conversation can be found on Digication's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Full episodes of Digication Scholars Conversations can be found on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. Welcome to Digication Scholars Conversations. I'm your host Jeff Yan. Today we are having a very special conversation with not one but four Digication Scholars. Here they are in alphabetical order: Liz Clark, Professor of English at LaGuardia Community College; Megan Mice, Director. For the ePortfolios and Digital Initiatives at Old Dominion University, Peter McClellan, Educational Analyst and leads the ePortfolio Project at Oxford College of Emory University, and last but not least, Sarah Zerhelen, Assistant Director of the Writing Across the Curriculum Program and a professional consultant in the University Writing Center at Appalachian State University. <laughs> Whew. That's everyone, and I'm your host Jeff Yan. <laughs> um, hey Jeff. Oh, hi everyone. Welcome. Thanks for having us. Wow. Well, unlike some of our previous um, Digication Scholars conversations, we invited Liz, Megan, Peter, and Sarah here to talk about a very important and special topic: digital ethics, especially in the context of e-portfolios in education. And I, I'd say that we all have most of our experience. I, I'm, I, I see. I don't know this actually for, for, for sure. But in higher education, am I, I right to, so. to say that? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's mostly in higher education, um, and um, all four of you are members of the Digital Ethics Task Force at Able. which stands for the Association for Authentic, Experiential, and Evidence-Based Learning. For those who are listening, just say able. Just say able. able is so much okay. easier. Able. <laughs> um, able is it? Yes. But I bet you a lot of folks who are listening right now are thinking, "What is digital ethics? What does that mean?" Um, does anyone want to, you know, jump in and 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 say something about digital ethics? Oh wow, guy, yeah, get to be put Megan? on the hot seat. Um, <laughs> well, I think that's a, a really Good opening question, you know, because we found for years as the ABLE community with ePortfolio practitioners that folks were encountering um, similar issues in institutions, but they were often kind of the lone person or a small group of folks. And when we talk about ethical issues, we're often looking at the way some of these practices that we advocate for might potentially harm students, our faculty, staff, administrators. Um, or kind of cross areas that ask uh, individuals to engage in something that might have an element of risk. And so we wanted to kind of crowdsource both pointing out what those issues might be in particular to e-portfolio practice and move beyond just talking about, hey, there's some potential problems or ethical concerns, but also how is the community addressing that uh, in kind of uh, putting together potential strategies and collecting that over time, which we think is actually modeling ethical practice versus just telling people to go forth and do things. And I am sure that 
philosophers will have a better discussion of what we mean by ethics. Um, but I think we just kind of kept coming back to this idea of uh, do no harm, uh, what harm might be out there, how can we identify it, and how can we try to prevent it? Um, and I, I will invite my colleagues to maybe give a more articulate discussion. But we do want to say we know digital ethics of what we talk about. Uh, applies beyond e-portfolios. We just think e-portfolio practitioners sometimes experience them in unique ways. Yeah, I think that was great, Megan. I would just mm. add to that that I think the need for a conversation around digital ethics really came from the fact that e-portfolios have come of age. And so as they have become more commonplace in colleges and universities, as more and more students, faculty, and staff are working with them, it requires a different set of eyes because we've moved from the experimental, from pilot phases, really to institutional phases. And so, and also the digital world around us is constantly morphing and evolving. So we need to be attentive to that and attentive to the ways that the new challenges that arise um, that we want to we think about in respect to the various digital ethics and the, the digital principles. That's really well explained. And I actually, I was going to say that, um, you know, as ePortfolio uh, sort of became a bigger and more influential, um, a, a more impactful sort of tool in many institutions, of course, you know, it has changed in some places, the pedagogical approach to things and curriculum, et cetera. But that's what bring, that's why there's this need to bring, you know, like bring bring to surface the ethical issues that may come come about because of uh, the use of these new tools. Um, I know that now I've been looking at sort of from I've been involved with Able for many years, but I have been looking at what the Digital Ethics Task Force and what it's been doing for the last few years. I want to say that. Megan and Sarah, were you the OG? You we're were old like school, the, baby. You were, you were <laughs> like in from the jump. Right? I was actually thinking about that this morning you because were, I was on the original version of the task force, uh -huh. but Megan was there for the first conversations from which the task force was born. It's true. <laughs> I, I, like, we need to give credit where credit is due. Aww. I sort of joined in once there was a task force. Um, <laughs> well, and I... I, and I want to say, so, like, this the conversation yeah, had been kind of brewing for years at different ABLE meetings in AAC and U, ePortfolio forums. Mm -hmm. And I think it just kind of coalesced when we had a conference in um, in the Bronx. You know, uh, it kind of made sense at that time where we were thinking about identity and uh, what we're asking students to do in online spaces and things like that. And then I think we just kind of hit on the fact that many uh, scholarly bodies often produce these kinds of best practices or advocacy to help people in the field. And we thought this would be a great way uh, to kind of crowdsource. Uh, as, as Liz said, uh, portfolio practice has come of age and it's moving out of the realm of specialists um, or even people who are from fields like composition, communication, who often think about media and ethics. And so now that colleagues and other disciplines are engaging with it earnestly, we wanted to give them a roadmap to do so um, safely. Yeah, I'm just really... I want to say I'm just really impressed by it. I went to ABLE, the conference, um, this last summer, and it's all virtual, unfortunately, so I didn't get to see anyone in real in 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 person. Like my kids would say, yeah. "IL." We're all they much shorter in real, real life. In <laughs> real life, and I remember attending 
I th- I think I've been a fan for digital ethics. I attended a lot of your <laughs> your presentations, um, and I really want to say that this last couple of years have just become more and more impressive. Not that it wasn't impressive in the beginning. It's just that in the beginning, you're you know everyone's just trying to find the footings and. You are you are coming up with all of the different principles because when when one talks about digital ethics, everyone has an opinion, just like <laughs> politics or sports. You know, everyone has like, oh, there is this. Oh, I have this issue, or you have that issue, or I can imagine this issue. Um, and uh, but you basically had boiled down to a list of categories of principles. And these principles have, over these last few years, have just gotten, I think, much more sophisticated um, in, you know, the examples that you give, the, the, the research that goes into it, and maybe even offering some solutions, some in, in, you know, whenever possible. So I don't know if, um, does anyone want to maybe just expose to our audience an example so that we can dig into what what digital ethics actually, what are we talking about here? Let's let's get to some real examples. I love that. Um, and I want to say too that, you know, folks like Liz and Peter joining us every year is why we got better. Like we started out with huge eyes. I think we really drafted like 23 possible principles and we realized that is overwhelming and that there was a lot of overlap. So every year we keep refining them and kind of condensing them and you know, when you have uh, uh, colleagues, both like Liz and Peter and Megan Haskins and just the whole crew um, and then international colleagues who also tap us on the shoulder and say, hey, you know, this is a really American point of view. Uh, you might want to think more expansively. So um, and I know I'm talking a lot, so I'll let someone else dominate that. But I wanted to shout out our, our the fact that it evolves because the team evolved uh, and people are coming in with new perspectives all the time. And we benefit from that. And Sarah, I can't remember how many principles version three is going to be because we've we've tightened it up further. Yeah, that's. I was just um, I was just thinking about that. I, I was thinking like, what an exercise in collaborative writing this has been for me. Like, what a cool exercise in collaborative writing. To Megan's point, I mean, that first year, I remember emailing Amy Shishino is one of the original members, and I think she's going to be joining us again. And I remember emailing her at one point and saying. I'm really not sure if I have anything to contribute to this conversation. Everyone feels um, like they have so much more expertise than I do. Um, and she said, I mean, she really was the person who was like, no, I, you know, we want, every, we want all eyes on this. Anybody who thought that this was a group for them, we would love it if you would stay and, and participate and read. And so I feel like, like I first kind of jumped in after people had really started producing a lot of content. And it was kind of like, then I felt like I had a space to go in and start reading what people were thinking about and finding like my niches inside that, like the places where people were identifying issues that I had experienced with ePortfolios and and with digital ethics more broadly, um, just as somebody who uses technology in a classroom space a lot. And so I wanted to to highlight that in relation to the the beginning of the principles, because I think that that um, to Megan's earlier point about the sort of modeling ethical behavior, the task force has done a great job of that in its creation of the principles. Um, one of the ones that really stood out to me when I was part of that first group and was reading through really what other people had produced and trying to find myself in that space was practice. Um, because I was at the time um, working with 
faculty and students, but my, my job was to help faculty like implement e-portfolios in their classrooms, right? Um, and so I was thinking about their practice and how they needed time and space to do that work, but also how to help them build that in for students and so that it wasn't just a kind of tacked on, like, here's a technology to use in your classroom, but here's the pedagogical um, underpinnings that, you, that need to be built into the space so that an e-portfolio even makes sense there. And here are some ways to do that. And so that was like the first principle, that and support, practice and support um, were the first two principles that I participated a lot in, in helping to draft um, because I felt like I had personal experience with those particular issues. Sarah, I love that you described it that way. Um, this is, I just finished my first year on the task force, and I would say that I also felt the same way coming in. Um, I have a lot of local expertise at LaGuardia, but when I came into the conversation, I felt really overwhelmed. And I think that's helpful for people to know um, when they when they read the principles for the first time, it seems really overwhelming. But that, Sarah, I love how you described that of like finding your niche, right, <laughs> to like get your feet under you. Because once you get your feet under you and you start thinking about it, I mean, just the use of the ethical use of technology, and in this case, portfolios, really just has so many ramifications for our institutions. And particularly right now, as so many institutions are segueing back to an on-campus experience after COVID, um, honestly, I think some of our digital um, practices were more ad hoc than we might have liked them to have been, right? So this is also a great time to sort of re-enter that conversation. So I know for me, I got my feet under me um, in the beginning under access to technology because it's something that I feel really passionate about. I'm very passionate about the idea that if you're going to ask students to engage in e-portfolios and other digital kinds of work, then you need to make sure that it's possible, um, both having a device, having a space to work, and having internet. Um, so really thinking about what that looks like in a very intentional way. So I would just invite folks uh, who are listening to our conversation today who open up the principles and might feel um, on their first pass, that it's a little overwhelming to take a deep breath and pick one and jump mm -hmm. in and think about um, your relationship to that principle um, at your institution. One of the things that's been um, exciting for me on the on the task force is that you know it's it's easy as um, somebody who kind of guides an e-portfolio program to feel like you're isolated, um, especially. I, I mean, I'm at a I'm at a pretty small institution, and so. There's no way there's going to be somebody else doing this sort of stuff here. And um, and so having this community of people that I can just like talk about research with um, in, in a field that I work is really empowering. And so, you know, I for me, the DEIBD principle has been a fun one to engage with because that's that's what I'm interested in um, just in general. And so, you know. I, you want to expand on what DEI is? <laughs> that's, that's it. No, it's it's just it's dived is what it is. So, uh, uh, diversity, <laughs> equity, inclusion, <laughs> belonging, and decolonization. Wait, yep, decolonization. Anyway, it's a long one. yeah. It's a um, long one. But coming on the task force was able to um, you know expand that work. Um, you know, with I mean, one by doing workshop. Uh, you know, I was doing a workshop with. Um, uh, Christina Hepner and then um, and and Megan Haskins and I were able to develop a you know a, a conference proposal for for Able, 
but having that sort of chance to further my engagement with a with an area of interest was really was pretty empowering um because and well yeah because because that's what gets me juiced and excited and then we also get to produce more research for folks who similarly in their own institutions just want to explore their own professional development further and do you I mind also- if I- Sorry, Sorry Maggie, you see, that's the, the four scholars. <laughs> I want to piggyback a little bit on the diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, and decolonization. Got it, um, one, because I know Peter's done some really excellent work that aligns with that. But it was so interesting when we began drafting these principles, what it was uh, the cr- community was asking us for. A lot of people focused on things like copyright, uh, plagiarism, um, things that are you know kind of traditionally instructional design, pedagogical concerns. But we noticed that what the community was anxious about has changed pretty dramatically in the last few years and the principles people are really cued in on. So it made sense that our diversity principle uh, became really important, particularly to Americans, you know, say in the wake of George Floyd and other major cultural moments um, where we started thinking about what does it mean when we uncritically celebrate the way e-portfolios do identity performance and construction? And is that equal for all students? Um, I often joke, but not joke, that I can have purple hair on my portfolio and that's privilege. And it is privilege. Whereas a student maybe who is presenting an identity that is different than how someone grading them thinks they should present uh, may be at risk for receiving poor grades for something that's entirely subjective. Um, It could expose them to bias. And suddenly that principle became really uh, important. And we really had a lot of conversation with communities. And we are always striving for more people to help us make that better because, you know, we want to make sure that that all the voices are are helping inform that particular principle, but all of the principles. So I just wanted to say a little bit more about that one. I like that one. Yeah, and I just wanted to piggyback on it and say, if you haven't read it, um, Peter has a spectacular, spectacular essay in International Journal of ePortfolio. And before joining the task force, I had not met Peter, but I had read the article. And it has been such a joy over the last year to watch him be able to put that expertise and that perspective into play Um in order to benefit the larger ePortfolio community and inform that principle. And that's been, that's been a really amazing opportunity to just watch how he has worked um, with that collaboratively with everyone. It's been really fun. Mm-hmm. I'll pile on to Peter's uh, accomplishment too. That, that's actually the, the presentation. Mm-hmm. I went to that presentation that Peter and, oh, was it Megan and you who, who gave, gave this presentation? Um, at at ABLE, like maybe yeah. last year on DIBD, and uh, I was blown away, and that's that's when I got like doubly interested. And and look, this is a uh, it's an area of interest, you know, really mm-hmm. for the mainstream now, right? It's not just for people who are in education, in higher education, or in ePortfolio. It applies to everyone. And I wanted to get a get a maybe this is one that we can sort of dig in a little bit mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if 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 that's all right i was going to say like so you take something as big as diversity equity inclusion belonging decolonization and you are you're trying to um talk about what it is you're trying to talk about you know provide examples you're trying to um what i really have found interesting in the, in the presentation that you gave was you put 
you basically create a scenario that says if you are in this situation in the in these shoes, what 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 would go through you know your head? What are your thoughts? Like how do you handle this? And I was like, wow, this is super powerful. And I just kind of wanted to find out for something th- that being an example of a <laughs> of a of a principle that you you deal with. Um, how has that either impacted you know people? Um, either in your institutions, in any of your four institutions, or people outside that you've seen, because isn't that the, Im- the impact is what you are obviously after for the community? One of the things, and this this goes beyond uh, just the work here on the task force, um, but it's something that that we've done at our institution and kind of holds true for these principles. Is is um, so we at Oxford we we have tried to take in faculty development a plus one approach. So you know where you you might go to one of those workshops and somebody just gives you a fire hose of information and it can feel really overwhelming, you know, or you or you come away and be like, I'm going to transform my pedagogy. And then the next day you're like, you know, you have a hangover from, yeah. from all of the workshopping, but being able to identify just like just one thing that you can do to, um, to work, you know, to, to improve mm-hmm. your, your teaching and learning. So like, for example, in our DEIBD principle, we, we provide resources to like say the Peralta Ec- equity um, mm-hmm. rubric or the asset model. Um, mm-hmm. And so the things like that to kind of give folks a kind of a first step to, um, to making, to making those changes, because um, while, you know, justice requires systemic change, giving, giving folks that sort of first step can, can oftentimes be the most revelatory moment for them. Well, and I also think the space to have the conversation. Right. I mean, a lot of times when we talk about technology, we're going to focus on privacy. We're going to focus on some of those traditional concerns um, mm-hmm. that Megan referred to. We're going to we're going to focus on access to tech. Right. But this is like DEIBD feels messy. It feels mm-hmm. scary um, for some people to enter into that conversation. So I also also think bringing it specifically into the digital space bringing it in as part of the conversation around digital ethics provides people with an opportunity to think, talk, raise questions, trouble, right? And and really work through um, whether it's a plus one or people are ready to move a little further, um, if people are ready to have a larger conversation at their institution, I think just providing some scenarios, the principle, the research um, is really important to moving that conversation forward, particularly in a tech space. Yeah, I, I was just going to second all of those. I, what I have found particularly useful, and this might be specific probably to my context, like so much of this work is to everyone's. Um, uh, so first I wanted to point out about the principle itself. Um, I would feel remiss if I didn't say that Kevin Kelly and Christina Hopner mm-hmm. had took the large role in, in drafting the language. And then that's kind of how the task force works. We sort of split up and work on things and then bring it back to the full group and um, wordsmith out from there. Um, but they did, Christina, especially a lot of work with um, one of the reasons it's the DEIBD principle and not the DEI principle is actually the the international voices that were brought into the conversation um, because in New Zealand, 
in Australia, we have members of the task force from those places. Um, they're doing so much work um, with First Peoples and, and Indigenous Peoples. And so she talked to a lot. She did a lot of work in terms of like showing the writing that she was working on to people in those communities and asking for input about the language that was used, um, the way people were described, the way identity was talked about. Um, and so I feel like that I just want to kind of put that out there because I think that's an important framework for where the principle came from. In my personal context, um, it seems like on my campus, there are people who are interested in e-portfolios and there are people who are interested in diversity, equity, and inclusion, and they don't overlap. Um, and so I found the principle really helpful in helping them overlap, right? So when I'm talking to people who are really invested in, in improving DEI on our campus, I I can bring in e-portfolios into that conversation as one um, pedagogical tool for, for doing that work. And when I'm talking to people who are doing e-portfolio work and not thinking about these other issues, I can say, actually, like, here are ways that this intersects with the work that you're already doing that can bring these benefits to your students, right? And so that's the way that I found this particular principle helpful in my context. This concludes part one of our conversation. To hear part two, be sure to subscribe to Digication Scholars Conversations on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. The Digication Scholars Conversation series is brought to you by Digication, a technology platform powering the most innovative e-portfolio programs in K-12 and higher education. Our website can be found at digication.com. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please like, subscribe, and share with a friend. Thanks for tuning in.